May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's podcast, we have a special guest, Dan Neufer. He is the author of CFS Unraveled. You will hear his passion come through as he shares his story about the battle he had with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, POTS, and related problems. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for your first time, welcome. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine doctor also a lifestyle medicine physician and a clinical lipidologist. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. For too long, fibromyalgia has not been considered a real problem, worthy of real answers and real solutions. This podcast is to help inform, inspire, and equip those who are going through the battle, their loved ones, as well as medical doctors and other healthcare providers to grow in their understanding. Education is so important. This podcast is for educational purposes only. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Dan Neufer, who I was going to say doctor, not a doctor, but he's done probably more research on fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and related problems that he probably has his own special doctorate. He is a highly intelligent person graduating at the top of his class in physics, which is not a simple task and has just an inspiring story. He and I both share hope for people who are struggling with these conditions. And as we just before we went on the recording, this is a complex problem and yet simple, but really if it was so simple, it would just be like taking an antibiotic for a strep throat or simple uncomplicated urinary tract infection and people would get better. And that's often what people expect from the medical community is that something easy is going to be fixed. We got a chance to read through your book, CFS Unraveled, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, and I think that chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, as you write in your book, and when I was on your podcast, are really different names for describing the same kind of thing. And it sometimes also mm -hmm. adds to the confusion. There's a lot to share, and I was hoping to share a little bit of your story. We'll have a link to the full story and get a chance to share what you've learned in helping people who have gone through this. And then talk about stress, all the types of stress and how that has an impact on your brain and your body. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, Michael. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. And yeah, so I would have named my my book Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Fibromyalgia, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia <laughs> Syndrome, Multiple Chemical Sensitivities, Electromagnetic Hypersensitivity Unraveled. But the publishers had a problem with the length of the title. So now when we see if it's unraveled. And actually, it probably has a lot to do with my own experience of the illness. Because my illness started with chronic fatigue syndrome. And my experience with fibromyalgia and POTS came later, and I just looked at them as more symptoms. It's not like everything else went away. And if you look at these conditions, you'll see that we talk about the main symptom often, in inverted commas, I call it the main, but really it's all the other symptoms that are just as bad, if not worse. And that's how the title came about. And I appreciate your little story there about the antibiotics. I think we, in the Western world, we have a bit of a distorted view of health. Because outside of somebody with a severe bacterial infections that you give an antibiotic for, how many different conditions do we cure? Try to put into remission a lot of things, whether it's diabetes or heart disease. We treat them, right? But there is no cures. This idea, this word cure is, really seems inappropriate, like cure. And what gets cured? Cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, heart disease, stroke. Well, what gets cured? Nothing gets cured, right? A, a bacterial infection gets cured. And outside of that, medicine is about treating people to reduce symptoms and ideally to restore health. But when it comes to restoring health, it becomes more complicated. And that's where lifestyle medicine com- comes into it, right? But someone who's got hypertension and who's 30, 40 kilos overweight and goes to their doctor, there's no pill that the doctor can give them. And they don't want to hear the doctor say, oh, maybe you shouldn't be eating three hamburgers a day and fish and chips and maybe a walk once in a while instead of an eight-hour football marathon every night is a better way to go for your health. But people don't want to hear that, right? So I think everyone talks about finding the cure for this group of illnesses. And I'm not sure that this is necessarily the most scientific or intelligent way of approaching complex medical problems. Because the body is complex. Therefore, health needs a multilateral, more complex solution. And that's one of the messages that I've been advocating for in the last decade. There's are so many different approaches to, to try to help people. And I think a lot of it's an education and a mindset. Reading through your story and reading through it at the beginning of the book, you went through a lot and mm. only imagine what it was like. And I wouldn't want to imagine what it's like. But unfortunately, I've heard similar stories from patients of mine. I know a lot of people like yourself who get inspired to work and help people have gone through this themselves, but you went through it and it's a long story, but can you give us a little kind of synopsis or summary of what you went through, what it felt like in the emotions Mm -hmm. and how you got through that? How I got through that, boy, (laughs) (laughs) I still ask myself that even over a decade later, but look, basically it's interesting at the time, it came out of the blue. I was literally fine one day, and then next day I went for a walk at lunch with my buddies from work, 
and I couldn't keep up with them. And they were just leisurely strolling. It wasn't a power walk, right? And I'm like, that's very strange. And I'm like, you guys got to slow down. I can't keep up. And they look at me like, you're <laughs> joking, right? What do you mean? And then a similar thing happened with my wife. About three days later, we had our son in the, in, in the stroller and, and I'm like, I can't keep walking on the way home. And people can't even understand that because it comes out of the blue. Like, why wouldn't you be able to keep walking? There's nothing wrong with you. I wasn't sick outside of that singular symptom. So that's, that was the first. And then suddenly I wake up with what feels like a flu or virus. And I went to the doctors when it didn't go away after a few days. And they did the tests and they said I had a red throat and all this kind of thing. And I had a rash across my chest, which I've never had in my life until that very moment. I got that immediately after they gave me an antibiotic for apparently what was a terrible throat, but I had no throat symptoms at the time. And then I felt better after a week or two, but then I, I went, tried to go back to work and that just wasn't right. And that's started the thing of Basically, a few days on, a few days off, a week was sick. It was just that cycle that everyone experiences and hopping from doctor to doctor. Somewhere around the third or fourth doctor, I think it was, I can't even remember. Someone said to me, look, Dan, we've checked everything. It's probably a virus, a virus that we just don't know or can't identify. There's billions of viruses. And that kind of stuck in my mind. And it was only in hindsight and I know this might sound silly to you, but it was only like literally years later, I recognized that about four or five days before something like this, maybe three days, five days, I can't remember, before the symptoms came on, I actually had a vaccination. It was for chickenpox because someone had work at it and I didn't want to bring it home to my baby boy and I didn't know if I'd been vaccinated. So I thought, oh, I'll just grab a vaccination. But that's not to say that the vaccination caused my illness. Otherwise, everyone would get this illness from a vaccination. This is not the case. But a vaccination is, of course, meant to be a stressor. That's why we have vaccinations, to get stressed and to create an immune response. And the problem was that this was a combination of things. I'd also been working very hard. I was working on a project outside of work, so I was probably doing 50, 60 hours. I was also working out hard because I became very unfit and unhealthy the year before. So I'd been working physically exercising hard in the gym. And the reason why I had gotten unfit a year before is because we had a very dramatic birth of my son and my wife nearly passed away several times where I was literally at her bedside trying to make sure they keep her alive. I remember teaching the nurses in intensive care how to correctly calculate the levels of magnesium so she doesn't stroke that they were applying to her because they were bickering and weren't getting it right. I didn't sleep for three days. That was the first time in my life I had a migraine at the end of those three days when she pulled through and, and I ended up with PTSD. We think, oh, what started it? I don't know, it was a virus. And then go, oh no, I think it was maybe the vaccine. Oh no, actually I had been working really hard and physically and mentally. Oh, and this is everybody's story, right? Anyone who's listening, we see if it's a fibromyalgia is likely to be able to recognize that it wasn't just one thing. For those of you who are listening, PTSD can be lots of different things because a lot of times, just like yeah. with CFS and fibro, we don't even know what we're experiencing. We may not even talk to other people about it. It was probably when I had returned to work once my wife came out of hospital about a month 
afterwards. And I had returned to work and I remember walking down the road at lunchtime and suddenly having flashbacks. And I remember thinking at the time, which was an odd thought, huh, this is exactly like they're showed in the movies. They're shown in the movies how people have to use flash. It's just like that. I was having flashbacks. Oh, I was having the vision. Like I'm walking down the street and suddenly I'm literally seeing the stuff that was happening in the operating theater because I went in the operating theaters as well. And the first time and then in intensive care when the second time when we had to say goodbye to each other. No, not the second surgery. The second surgery, she nearly died in front of me and rushed out. And I told them something's wrong and they just barked at me and said, that's nothing wrong. She had a baby and all this. And then when they finally came in, when she had no blood pressure and then they rushed out in emergency to try and save a life. But then it was the third surgery where we had to say goodbye to each other because they'd already done the second surgery and they couldn't stop the bleeding. Yeah, it was a horrendous experience. Those images, those were literally coming into my eyes and I broke down crying in the middle of the street. That was a pretty clear indicator that I was having a problem. I did see a counsellor, which I think for the type of PTSD that I experienced, it probably was actually quite a good treatment. It's obviously not necessarily the go-to treatment for PTSD, but it depends on what kind of trauma you have. And my recovery was a slow boil. It probably took 12 months. I would say I was recovered, but before my illness onset, I would have said to you, oh no, I'm totally recovered. But I wasn't totally recovered. My wife and I were probably still, if we were watching a movie even five years later, there were certain scenes that we'd get a bit uncomfortable, to say the least. But yeah, so that was my experience with that. And then my illness progressed from there. Just doctor hopping, alternative healthcare hopping, all kinds of theories. I kept thinking it was this virus. And there was a window somewhere along the way. And I don't actually quite remember. I'm thinking maybe three years in, where somehow I had become pretty good. I remember I started to play tennis sometimes. It's almost like it was behind me. I didn't really know how. I didn't know what. There was this window for a period of time where I felt good and then it came back again and then I moved house. And when I moved house, that was a big effort, a young family and not a lot of money. You're doing everything yourself, lots of trips. And when we got to the new house that we were renting, that's when I crashed. Yeah. And I crashed pretty severely. I ended up bed bound. I ended up not being able to speak. And and then that was, I think, the time when the fibromyalgia set in. And I had ignored chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis because I had a real illness. <laughs> That's how I thought of it. I'm like, chronic fatigue, what is this? I don't, I, fatigue is just one thing. I don't have fatigue. I've got all this stuff. I get this glance. I get this rash. I get sweats at night. All of this weird stuff, weird smell stuff. Sometimes I sit there and I go, oh, can you smell that's like gas? And you feel like a crazy person. It was just a never-ending list of symptoms. And I never looked into it because I had in my mind that this was a virus. Yes. And ironically, of course, I was injected with a live virus, <laughs> which I didn't realize at the time. But like I said, again, I'm not saying that was causing it at all. But that was in my head. And once the pain came and the fibromyalgia, classical fibromyalgia symptoms came on top of all the other chronic fatigue syndrome stuff, that's when I first started to actually accept that's what I had. And yeah, the pain was pretty tough to deal with. I have to say every afternoon, yeah, I remember it 
It was like clockwork every afternoon it would come on. I also had periods of POTS. The POTS wasn't like pervasive, like I didn't have it all the time. Obviously, orthostatic intolerance is a part of chronic fatigue syndrome, but to have those tachycardia attacks was very disconcerting. And so I had that periodically. Yeah. When I was bedbound, I ended up actually bedbound. Cut the long story short, people can listen to me talk about it in other interviews, but I that Christmas, I'd been, I don't know how long it was, a period of time, maybe a month or longer. I'd been in bed. I'd barely been able to communicate. I don't remember much about that time. I did ask my wife just a year ago, so why didn't you take me to hospital? Because I was, in essence, I felt like I was dying. Like I was having difficult breathing and all this kind of thing. And like my, I felt like an elephant was sitting in my chest. Every beat was a labor and most people have to be scared. This is very unlikely to happen to you if you have this illness. It happens to some people for a period of time, but it's not like this is what you can expect or anything. But yeah, it was pretty severe. And I said, why didn't you take me to a doctor? And she said, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be taken to the hospital because I've been to the hospital before. Nothing ever happened. So and doctors, I've been to all the doctors. So just I was burnt out with the idea of getting treatment because nothing worked. I tried all the reasonable things. I tried all the unreasonable things. <laughs> I even tried the silly things and desperation. And uh, when I came out and at Christmas, I literally just lay on the couch. I couldn't join the family. I had two little kids, I think six and two or something at the time. And I couldn't even join them at the dinner table. And when it came to unwrap the presents, Michael, you suck it up. No matter how sick you are, you're going to suck it up for your kids. They're six, they're two, it's Christmas. We're opening the presents. It's a special moment. And I couldn't even crack a smile. I couldn't lift my arms up to unwrap the presents. And I thought, wow, living with this as best as I can, it's no longer my fallback position. So I came up, it was a few weeks later, I came up with, I managed to finally get out of bed properly. I went into the study and sat on a chair there. At least I wasn't in bed. And I looked out through the curtain gap and it was almost like a voice in my head went off and said, Dan, you find the answer. And I saw that movie, uh, Lorenzo's Oil from the 80s with Nick Nolte. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to find out what causes this illness. I wasn't interested in treatments because treatments to me are illogical. It's illogical. Nobody treats anything in engineering, physics, or plumbing. You never go to come home, everything's flooded. The plumber comes in and says, oh, get a big towel and let's get some fans going. They tend to say, where's the broken pipe? And that was my thing. I'm like, I don't want treatments for why is my thyroid low? Why don't I have cortisol? Why this? Why is my gut wrong? Like, why is all that happening? Yeah. When my buddies who are like drinking alcohol and eating pizza all day, they seem to be blooming in health and I'm eating grass and I'm a mess. So I needed to find out why. And I said it to my wife and she said, yes, yes, I think you will. And I was like, oh, what have I just done? Because it seemed a little preposterous. Because like you said, my background is not medicine. So that's where it started. And then basically I came up, I spent, I went to all the medical universities around here, looked at research papers. I came up with all kinds of weird theories that didn't turn out to be true. I noticed there was a big alcohol intolerance at one stage. I thought there was an acetaldehyde dehydrogenized deficiency or something like this. Of course, that didn't explain everything, but try to explain the symptoms. Like, why is there an alcohol intolerance, for instance? Or why is the magnesium low? Looked at whatever we knew for sure and said, what determines that? And in the end, what I found is that whatever dysfunction I seem to look at, for virtually all of them, it led to the same spot. And that was the autonomic nervous system. 
And then that started to be able to explain how the symptoms were created. It explained how I got ill. And at that stage, of course, I'd looked at other people because I no longer thought of myself as being the only one with a weird mystery virus anymore. And I could see, okay, there's a pattern here. And so I felt very confident that the autonomic nervous system explanation is the answer for what is driving this disease, as in the root cause. And of course, I didn't have any confidence that I would actually recover. I thought theoretically it was possible, but it seemed unlikely. I couldn't think of myself as a well person after all those years. So I went through and I started to do lots of different treatments again, because I had completely abandoned alternative health, mainstream medicine, integrative functional medicine, anything. None of that stuff worked, right? So I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But then now that I had a different context, I could see the value of doing it again, even though it didn't cure me before. And so I started to do that in parallel with changing my lifestyle and also doing brain training. Yeah. And slowly I started to get better. I started to build confidence. I had a few bumps. It wasn't an easy road. It wasn't a fast road. It took me about 12 to 18 months. And I tell you, the mind caught up slower than the body. Even after I'd recovered, I remember it was like three months after recovery and I started running because I could. I was never a runner. I'm still not a runner. I just did it out of novelty. <laughs> and I'd been running and I was running down the road. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I remember trying to think of myself as a well person. I haven't had symptoms in months. I'm healthy. I'm running. I'm fit. I still couldn't do it. It actually took me years to be able to not think of myself as broken. And I think that's what happens with many of us. We think there's something broken in our body because that's how it feels. So that's my journey. We can give a link to the longer version of that. I like a lot of the quotes you have at the beginning of your chapters and the quote you had at the start of chapter seven, starting with what we know. I love this quote from Michael Behe, who wrote Darwin's Black Box. He wrote, although Darwin was able to persuade much of the world that a modern eye could be produced gradually over a much, much simpler structure, he did not even attempt to explain how the light sensitive spot that was his starting point actually worked. What the elaboration on what inspired you to put that in there? I think it talked a little bit oh. of what you just went through on the, uh, we observe things, but why? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is the whole thing. We tend to just, the word is, what is the cause of illness? You can answer that depending on your perspective. <laughs> sure. People say on the first level, it's, oh, of course you're exhausted. Look, your thyroid function is so low and your cortisol is flatlining. And look at your metabolic profile here. There's, how can you possibly have any energy? And mm -hmm. your insulin resistance, look at your, what is it? The, I always forget that one, the h one BC1, whatever that is, you know, the blood marker for the insulin sensitivity. And then, yeah, okay, you could explain that. Or you could say, oh, it's the autonomic nervous system. That's what's causing all of this. I am reminded of my first year of medical school where we learn about normal functioning of things. 
And we had a developmental biology class going from an egg and a sperm and a fertilized to a baby. And we learn about all the things that can go wrong. And, and the professor at the end said, quoted one of the Psalms and said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made because it is complicated. And there are so many things that can go wrong. You had a quote also in chapter nine, and we segue into stress is from Dr. James Dobson, who said, there are very few certainties that touch us all in this mortal experience. But one of the absolutes is that we will experience hardship and stress at some point. And to say, oh, you didn't experience mm -hmm. those. And I, I think part mm -hmm. of that autonomic nervous system is designed for good purposes. <laughs> There's good mm -hmm. design there. But when it gets pushed and hit with so much stress, it can push it to a tipping point where it starts to connect with how the central nervous, the conscious and subconscious are interacting that we don't always realize. And that kind of perspective, brain training, understanding of things. I think that's a really tough one to get your mind around because mm. we think something must be broken from the classic standpoint. We have been told that medicine will give us that classic diagnosis like your wife had severe anemia you were like oh mm. there she's fine you're like no she's not fine she needs a blood mm. transfusion and surgery we got to take her in so there are those causes mm. that we as doctors have to be looking for but that brain training what have you found in working with people who are have gone through what you've had some common themes that you've found in their history and their struggle and then working towards recovery. Look, my focus was always being a person of science was always on the mechanisms, the neurology, the biochemistry. And you can see that from the way the book is written. And that was my focus. And that's how I recovered. And when I was coaching people in my not so spare time and Eventually, I created the ANSVY program, which is an education program. And in that, again, it's about understanding the science so that we change our behavior to do the things that we need to in order to recover. Because even a cure for heart condition doesn't work, right? If you get a hundred, I always tell the story if you have a pill that 100% works to cure this heart condition, if you take that pill every day, you'll be fine with a normal length. But if you don't, you're going to die in two years if, for some heart condition, let's say. And you have this magical pill. And I asked one of the doctors who's patient herself with this illness. I said, if you have this and you gave it to a patient, what percentage of patients would still be alive? And she immediately went, 70%. 70%. And obviously, that's not numerically accurate. But the point is that even 100% doesn't work 100% of the time. Because when it's in the kitchen cabinet or next to the bed or whatever, it doesn't work. You have to take it out of the box, stick it in your mouth and swallow it. Without that, the medicine doesn't work. Now, that is the bane of every doctor's life, right? So the interesting thing is, I started all with the signs. We're looking at this neurological illness. I'm saying, in essence, it's a neurological illness with a range of secondary dysfunctions. And in order for us to recover, what we need to do is retrain the autonomic nervous system to start behaving normally again. And people tend to think of it as an over-sympathetic but I think that's really a sympathetic expression, but I think that's an oversimplification. And you've got to look at the patient population. It's totally heterogeneous. And it's not just like in the 
patient population, but even with one patient, over a period of years, it changes. In fact, over a period of a week, it changes. It's completely different, right? So we looked at all we look at all this. And one of the first things I did was all advocacy work. I gave away 5,000 books of copies of my book, right? I found other people who had recovered in all manner of ways, right? And I started interviewing them. And many of them would say to me, this has been a spiritual journey. And I almost fell off my chair. I'm like, spiritual journey? Like, I've got a physical illness, real illness here. Why are you talking to me about spiritual journey? I rolled my eyes so hard, I almost injured myself, right? I'm like, what? (laughs) And I was probably a bit ignorant. I was probably a bit ignorant at the time. Let me explain this. I guess over the years now, I've seen many people recover. I've seen people recover from all sorts, from people who were bed-bound, people who were... Uh, hospitalized, people who were in their 70s, people who had been ill three and four decades. You name it, I've seen it. I've seen homeless people recover, okay? I've seen people with severe mental illness that's so severe that it's unimaginable how they could recover. I've seen the craziest of things. (laughs) But one of the things that I noticed is that there is this requirement for us to reprioritize things and for us to do things that perhaps we feel uncomfortable with. And this is, I think, where the spiritual side of things comes in. Because we all have this model of the world. Yeah? I have to look after my kids. Who is going to disagree with that? Right? We have very firm models of the world. I have to do this. I have to do that. And for us now... To walk away from some of that model for a period of time and to reprioritize how we engage with life, that there are some hard choices. There are some hard choices. There are some relationships that need to stop. There are some careers that need to stop. There are way the ways, why do we behave in certain ways? You said this about stress, right? From that quote. And of course, stress is a wonderful thing. Otherwise, Would life be worth living? It'd be too boring. But there's all kinds of stress, good stress too, physical stress. Many of it is wonderful, right? However, what causes the problem in this illness is not just an overwhelming amount of stress. It is an unrelenting amount of stress. I'm going to say this again. I hope everyone's listening really careful. It's not an overwhelming, not just an overwhelming amount of stress. It's an unrelenting amount of stress. It's not natural for stress to be unrelenting. In nature, stress is much more extreme than what we tend to experience. Yeah? If you're a bear and a moose, there's going to be stress today. Okay? And it's going to be much more extreme than what most of the people have ever experienced. Okay? But it'll probably, bears are pretty persistent, but it'll probably won't take too long. Right? We're talking minutes right? Maximum an hour with a bear. But let's say it's probably a matter of minutes. We experience stress for months and years and decades. And that's not natural. And again, why would you do it? I'll give you a classic example. Somebody's in an abusive relationship or somebody is in a toxic work environment, working 90 hours a week, or Somebody is doing CrossFit training, yeah, 
already had two shoulder surgeries. They're still going strong, breaking their records. And they feel ill. This person starts to feel ill. They start to get flu-like symptoms regularly. They always run down. They start to get exhausted, but they keep going. Why? My dog wouldn't keep going. Someone's cat wouldn't keep going. Nothing keeps going like that. Why do they keep going? And that's where some people call it psychological, but you can call it psychological. I would suggest it becomes a spiritual journey. What is it that causes us to persist in the face of life telling us to change direction? It's an unhealthy way we engage with life. And the second thing I would say is as a society, I think we have become, even though we're in this chronic stress, we've become completely intolerant to acute stress. People think their life should be good. People think they should have food and they should be safe and all of these perverse ideas. Now, you don't think it's perverse and most of us don't think it's perverse. We think it's what we want. Of course, everyone wants that. But to think that's how it should be is perverse. Where does this happen? Even in the last 20 years, a handful of countries, maybe in America and Canada and Australia, right? What about in Africa? Do you have food security? Do you have physical security? What about even in America and England and Australia and all of these countries before World War II? What about for the last 5,000 years? Where was this? This is an unnatural thing. If you spoke to your great-great-grandfather, said, oh, I want to make sure I always have food, and oh, it's got to be always safe and nothing bad happens, they'd be thinking you have a mental illness. And yet everybody in our society speaks like that. That's why we had the way we reacted to the pandemic, right? Look at it. Everyone went crazy. I don't care if you think you should be wearing a giving three-year-olds infection control measures for masking in kindergarten or whether you think nobody should wear a mask. The point is none of this was logical and based in science. And it's just madness. And why? Because we've become completely intolerant to bad things happening. Bad things are supposed to happen, and that's life, and we need to move past it. But what's not supposed to happen is distress. That is where we will end this week's episode. We will pick up part two of the conversation with Dan Newfer next week. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please hit the like or follow button, leave a review, and a five-star rating. That way, more of those who are struggling with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and other related issues like POTS can grow in their understanding. Until next week, go Team Fibro.